children of all ages, love the Code Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the Marketech Samuel Plan, the Devil's Advocate Shinobi, the Lunatic King Maverick, and Single Syllable Mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you! Sup, Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and welcome back. This week, we got a nice, uh, new, fresh idea for you. Although you may have covered this maybe in Pond's past in passing. Uh, we're going to have a look at the idea of the weekly wrestling show, which is, of course, hot news at the moment. What with AEW starting up Dynamite, uh, with NXT moving to a two-hour format and onto the USA Network, away from the WWE Network, and with... Um, you know, numerous uh, numerous changes seeming to be in the air on Raw and SmackDown. Um, and we're, of course, just around the corner from another draft uh, as well. Joy of joys. Um, so we thought we'd kind of have a look at what we would like as the ideal uh, in a weekly wrestling television show. Um, obviously, for both of us, I think WWE have stepped quite far away from what our ideal of a weekly show is. and None of the alternatives are really shouting particularly loudly at us either. So we're going to, well, we're gonna tell you what we think one should look like, essentially. What we, yeah, what we think one should look like. I appreciate that we're not here to be prescriptivists for people. People obviously have different tastes in wrestling. A lot of people are very, very excited by what's now happening with AEW and stuff. And then WA did their own uh, studio wrestling show as well that I saw some people get excited about. Uh, but like you say, none of them, uh, and I've been having conversations on Twitter today as of recording as well, none of them appeal to me at all. And at least not to such a degree that it, you know, that it hooks me, that I'm like, I, I need to see next week's show. You know, I'm not saying that they're appalling wrestling shows or anything. They're just... And but the funny thing is, you know, just before we get into the meat of what we're here to discuss, I've I have watched the first episode of Dynamite, uh, and I watched half of this first episode of NWA Power, and um, the the thing with it was with Dynamite in particular, it was like if I could if I could take the general atmosphere and general creative freedom of that you feel when you watch AEW's product. And then put it with, you know, WWE's ring product from from you know even ten years ago. I'd settle for uh, then then for me that that'd be all I need to get by. The problem is that while AEW get sort of the the bigger picture right, a lot of the time the ring product leaves me feeling a bit cold, quite honestly. And I don't know whether that's because I don't really have much of an emotional connection to any of their talent on the roster or anything or. Whether it's because, like in, in NXT particularly, uh, you know, postmodernism and even post postmodernism seems to be getting more and more frequent. It just does nothing for me. So, um, it's it's a sad state of affairs when you start to come to the realization that it's not so much you're done with wrestling as it is wrestling seems to be done with you. I think uh, the interesting thing, as you say, with uh, with AEW is. Uh, you know, they've got a lot of things right, but ultimately it's still run by, partially, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. You know, and obviously I've always been a fan of Cody Rhodes, like, in the ring. But but those other three guys are, without doubt, like, people who wrestle content-heavy matches. Yeah. And, you know, if they are the main creative brains behind the whole thing, I, I grant you they have people like Arn Anderson working backstage but but if they're the main creative brains behind it then it is going to be to a large extent something which is reflective of their own experiences on the indie circuit and in japan and so on and so forth and so yeah the idea of getting lots of you know that you might get lots of old school wrestling storytelling is is maybe a bit naive and or, you know like some some of the stuff they've done is a bit more that way inclined i thought the gold dust well, whatever you, whatever they called him, Dustin Rhodes. <laughs> so Dustin Rhodes, Cody Rhodes match from 
double or nothing. Double or nothing was actually you know quite a, a sort of old school type of match. Was I was really invested in it. I thought it was really good. Um, but yeah, and a lot of the other stuff has been quite content heavy. It's a bit. It's a bit of a funny one because obviously they're establishing a product and they've gone round it in a way I can't think many people would have gone around it. Like they've done three or four one-off pay-per-views before they've established a weekly show. Um, and so it's almost as if they've kind of, they've done all this quite creative stuff with YouTube and buildings these pay-per-views through a kind of running YouTube diary and, and quite a lot of clever stuff like that. And now here they are with a traditional wrestling television show and it doesn't know what it is yet. Um, and that's to be expected to some degree. So I'm happy to give it, you know, to give it a bit of time for it to kind of, you know, settle into whatever it's going to be. I think certainly the, you know, Dean Ambrose promo, you know, and the even the, um, you know, the post-match uh, promo from All Out with Jericho and the bubbly and stuff like that's the kind of stuff I really like, you know, live mic, no script, just go for it. So there's, yeah. there's stuff there that I like, um, but it's, it's kind of so much in its infancy and people want it to be a war right away. And this is the point I was trying to make to our other podcasters and columnists in our, uh, our sort of Twitter chat that everyone's so desperate for it to be this massive thing. And I don't think it is yet. So I think it's so much in its infancy. You can't really suddenly say that you've dropped into the middle of 1995 because those two companies have been around for donkey's years by the time that happened and this is you know you've got an upstart company against the juggernaut who make money despite themselves i'm not quite sure if it's what people think it is yet so i'm happy to give it time to develop you know well no quite absolutely and i and i totally uh you know accept the point that was uh, that has also been made to be elsewhere as well that obviously it's going to take a few weeks for the tone to really be set and you're not going to necessarily be you know, be grabbed by one or two episodes. And like you say, I'm happy from a wary distance to, um, to out of curiosity, uh, you know, maybe keep one eye on it. And I do intend on watching the second episode, actually. I mean, there's, there's something to be said about the convenience of being able to just load up ITV Hub and play, you know, a 90-minute wrestling show um, on, my, on my TV. And that's, that's quite cool. But... Um, I guess the, 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 the primary issue for me is that AEW represents a lot about what I don't like about the way that wrestling has changed. And that's a deeply personal thing. I'm not saying that it's problematic. And by the way, you know, I should I should kind of qualify my opinions by saying that I'm in by no means saying that NXT is a terrible wrestling show or that AEW is a terrible wrestling show. But I think one of the issues for me is that everything seems to be extremes these days. It's either the worst, it's got to either be the worst thing since, you know, well, the worst thing ever, or it's it's the best thing ever. And I don't think anything is. It's all to me. It's just all a little bit lukewarm. Um, but AEW, there's a lot of self awareness there, and I, and I that I don't care for. Whether that's down to content heavy matches that are wrestled in a style that's not for me, or whether it's you know. Um, uh, the uh, Ken Kenny Omega calling himself a five-star match machine, you know, in universe is a real issue for me because you shouldn't give a shit, surely, how good your matches are in universe. You give a shit about winning. Um, and it's just little things like that, but there seems to be a lot of them. And there's homogeneity is a big issue for me as well. Everything um, in wrestling these days, it feels like I'm just seeing the same stuff on rotation all the time. And I think that the first few events from AEW it feels like there's been a lot of angles that have basically been fueled by post-match beatdowns and uh, and shocking public appearances resulting in brawls. It seems like I've seen that a lot, and it seems like it's carried over from the stuff that Jericho did in NJPW. Appreciating again that time needs to 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 play out to see you know how many tools they have in their creative toolkit, uh, but for the time being, homogeneity is, is an issue with me. You've got the Dean Ring stuff. A lot of a lot of wrestlers that i honestly think benefit more from a cult of personality than they do from any real provable um uh, uh criteria uh, um again that said that's a personal thing uh, but that in turn also highlights an issue that i have that i think i haven't seen the second episode of AEW yet um what my understanding is um no oh, spoiler alert are, are you are you spoiler free with AEW or do you a not care 
Uh, I'm not bothered. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if you're aware, but Jack Swagger or Jack Hager debuted at the end of the first yep. episode of yep. AEW. I saw that. Um, and they uh, they cut a promo, this new group in the ring, apparently, um, and people were chanting, we the people, and then Jericho said that that was a terrible idea from Bad Creative, and apparently, I've not seen it, so I may be wrong, but apparently the crowd then immediately start cheering that idea, and that just is representative of... The cat and, and the cult's personality that I was talking about earlier are representative of I, the fact that I just feel like everything's become like an echo chamber now and people are only interested in confirmation bias and and, and there's no real sense of, you know, it's, it's the post-truth world. To me, there's no real sense of prevailing opinion being actually attached to any provable reality. It's just prevailing group thing but i guess i'm i'm getting really carried away here and, and <laughs> delving into issues we could spend hours talking about but that's just my my point of view and that's why i'm feeling a little bit cold towards pretty much everything right now i, mean, I guess i've become borderline nihilistic but this is the beauty of the pond is we get the chance to dig into these kind of issues and i think that's always been an important part of our show is that you know we do delve into these things quite deeply and we don't just kind of you know review a show or you know talk about why a wrestler is hot or whatever the hell like we we, we do like to look into the issues and, and, I, and, I, and I'm in agreement with you to a large degree on, on a lot of what you said the postmodernism thing I think what I find really interesting about that is that you know uh when uh, ex, well, so I should say the one, two, three kids, and <laughs> uh, and um, you know, and Triple H and Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash, you know, when they were doing that stuff or starting to do that stuff uh, on TV, this nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, calling themselves the Click because that was what everyone hated about about them, and you know, Michaels calling his his fans the Click in 1996, and um you know, those kind of things that started to happen, um, especially when, you know, Sean and Tripp's got to do the DX thing and they started to do a lot of stuff, which inverted commas, oh, exposing the business, can't be doing that. And and it and it is actually, I remember I watched it back for when me and Mans did uh, our Attitude series and it was very uncomfortable to watch a lot of it and it went over a lot of people's heads. The difference is now it doesn't go over people's heads. <laughs> and it is i do find that like mentioning your star ratings or because ziggler kind of used to do it but he didn't quite star ratings he just said that he stole the show which is a bit different um and that kind of stuff annoys me I mean, as well you know i think that's, that's fair to say it's 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 silly because you're meant to believe that it's real and if you don't believe that it's real like or at least if you don't pretend that you believe that it's real you know it, it, it becomes something less there's a sense of the the prevailing because I've watched Double or Nothing. I've seen bits of the other. I'm not watched the other pay-per-views in full. I've seen little bits of them here and there, and I've seen, uh, as I say, the first episode of Dynamite. There seems to be at the minute, and again, you know, I keep putting this caveat on it, and I understand it's in its infancy and things yet to develop. But so far, it's felt very much like trading off of. Um, reputations that precede the performers. I remember when, for example, they first turned Seth in WWE uh, into a babyface, and I remember that a lot of people were going around saying, well, you know, I've, I've got no reason to cheer him. And I watch AEW's product, and I'm thinking, well, why? what's my reason for cheering Kenny Omega or, you know, the Young Bucks or even Cody? Like, there's there doesn't seem to be much in the way of, of narrative substance for those top, particularly heroic characters at the minute. And hopefully that will you know begin to develop as we go along. But I hope that it does. And it doesn't just remain trading on the reputation of we wrestle matches that a lot of people consider to be great. And so therefore we're the good guys, because that's so reductive that I've always been very, my reaction when people have always used that stupid line of, oh, don't get so upset about it. It's just two guys pretending to fight. I've always said it's not just two guys pretending to fight. But if wrestling's not careful, and I think this has been exhibited a lot in the reaction to the way that Bray Wyatt, the, the Fiend Seth Rollins match happened at, on Sunday. Um, if wrestling's not careful, it is going to become just two guys pretending to fight because things are going to stop having meaning and things are going to stop having weight. 
uh, and things are going to stop having substance. Uh, and I think you, my opinion is it's already crossed that line largely, but I know that I'm in a, in a minority opinion at the minute. But, you know, you think about the way, I don't know how much you know about the the, the way the Rollins-Fiend match happened, but for those listening who are aware of it, you know, my only, my only response to the critics of it can be, well, what did you expect? This is the only way that wrestling can go now. Uh, and it's only going to get worse. If that annoyed you, it's only going to get worse uh, as as the years go on, unless there is a radical change. But there's a huge difference between, and, and this is particularly prevalent, not to just rag on AEW, this is particularly prevalent from the NWA show that I watched on YouTube, which just seemed to want to recreate the 80s wholesale. It wasn't nostalgia. It was trying to literally be the past. Um, and wrestling doesn't seem to want to have a future despite the fact that it's got the brightest future possible because it's so anchored to vestiges of yesteryear and that counts for aw as well because you know all right dustin Rhodes can still go chris jericho can still go but they're still dustin Rhodes and chris jericho and when when does someone else get to step into that spot because there's more than enough talents that are considerably younger and considerably more contemporary who've earned that shot which is it to rag on the abilities or even the 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 uh, contributions that are made both creatively and in, in marketing terms by names like Chris Jericho and, and Dustin Rhodes, nor is it to criticize the logic of having them in those spots. It's just to say that while they're there, it means that one guy who is considerably younger and of this generation who has also proven themselves to be worthy of that spot is being denied it. And that's an issue for me in AEW as much as it is in WWE. Um, and, and again... You know, we've got to get past this obsession with where we've been in the wrestling world. I don't know why we're so seemingly reticent to A, move on to the future, but also B, instead of living in the past, learning from the past, because it feels like we're, we're, we're hurtling onwards. We don't really know what wrestling wants to be anymore. No one's really got an idea about what it should become in this day and age. And we're letting the... the, the um, the foundations on which it was built, the the the, the rules and regulations of the basics slip away as we get more and more excited and clamour more and more over that match was so brilliant, that match was amazing, you know, and and I think we've become we've become so tunnel focused on match quality these days, and everybody talking about match quality that everything around it seems to be falling apart. It's chicken and egg, though, isn't it? Because the reason why people are fixated on match quality is because there haven't been any good stories told on the television. Very true. And, yeah, very true. You know, and then and therefore, what you know, you get into this cycle of, oh well, these two guys, well, there wasn't much of a story, but hey, they'll have a good match. And yeah, we yeah. talked last week about Shawn Michaels, um, or the week before about Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. That's a prime example. There's no story there whatsoever. But it was like people were excited because it was Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker and because they'd, you know, wrestled some, you know, silly match than a match at a Royal Rumble a couple of years before. Um, so it's it, it's like for, 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 the, for the, the whole of professional wrestling to make sense, it has to have both of those things. You know, it has to have, um, you know, coherent storytelling uh, leading up to the match. The feuds have to make sense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then. You know, the pay-per-view needs to be uh, in some sort of harmony where the matches complement each other. And hopefully, particularly your matches going on later on the night will, will be, you know, of really good quality. And and that's that's always your ideal situation. And I, and I think, you know, as for what wrestling needs to be in this day and age, to be honest, I think we know what it should look like in this day and age. You know, it, it, it is what we had in... 2013 and 2014 and 2015 that is how wrestling should function and i guess you know in this transition out of the reality era into i mean whatever it is we're in now um, post truth era yeah I, I mean i'm sure post reality era that seems like a fitting term um i think the problem is is that there's no one particularly post brand split that's really sort of taken the product by the scruff of the neck and said, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be its direction. Instead, there's a kind of, um, you know, hodgepodge of creative from various different sources that, that just doesn't go together very well aligned with what we've talked about before in terms of roster positioning being off 
um, and those kind of things. And, and, and that is probably why WWE find themselves in this in this position that they're in now. The, 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 I mean, I've heard Cody in particular say, um, you know, that wrestling, <clears throat> excuse me, wrestling can be anything, I think he said once. Um, <clears throat> and it stands to reason that if that's true, then surely the logical extension of that is that no one really knows what wrestling is. And it, you know, if, if, if it can be anything, then it surely is not really anything at all. Um, and I think that that's a, a toxic idea because I think you have to, I mean, I've been, listen, I've been, you know, very vocal over the last few years, LOP about wrestling as performance. So I'm freeing up from, you know, sort of a lot of the traditions that it's been anchored to, but that doesn't mean that you can lose sight of the very fundamental basics like suspension of reality uh, and needing to ensure that, um, that your disbelief isn't strained by the ridiculous. Uh, you know, you have to maintain that central, uh, that central uh, core of, of, of gravity um, for everything to still function around. And when you see, for example, when I see something like Orange Cassidy running around doing his, his comedy act, people sort of say, well, it's entertaining, it's funny. I see it as toxic because it draws attention to the fact that it's a performance. And while we shouldn't be shy of accepting that professional wrestling is a performance, when you're watching the product, you should be presented with something that anchors itself to a sense of reality so that you can suspend your disbelief, which doesn't work unless you can believe what you're seeing. Um, and when you send that up in such a self-conscious way, whether that's through comedy or whether that's through the excesses that we now see in things like Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano, for example, to draw on a recent one, um, because it just gets so carried away with, as you phrased earlier, content-heavy matches. Uh, when you send wrestling up like that, then it doesn't really have much of a future left because it's not going to be long before any sense of uh, suspension of disbelief erodes away, unless you're willing to willfully commit to that erosion, which it seems a lot of fans are, are happy to do. And listen, you know, more power to them. I'm glad that people are so excited. And I say that without being glib. I genuinely mean it. I think it's great to see people really excited about wrestling again. But at the same time, that's counterweighted for me by the bittersweet uh, realization that it's fast turning into something that to me is just two men pretending to fight. And I can't, I can't get excited about that. It, it, it's misguided. It comes from a place with Cody, I think, which is... Uh, what he means by that statement of wrestling can be anything is wrestling doesn't have to be the way that WWE has been since, yeah. you know, 2006. Um, and he's right. It doesn't have to be as controlled and homogenous and I, I guess at times disastrously stodgy as WWE can be at its worst. Um, but like saying it can be anything like that's just a soundbite it doesn't it, it, it's full of sound and fury signifying nothing right it doesn't really mean anything um and the problem is is that if what you mean is i you know like i think that indie the indie style uh which wwe you know claimed to uh look down on and then just wholeheartedly embrace in, in nxt it's so complicated as an issue like every little like nuance that you uncover there's a million other things that spring up. You know, it's like whack-a-mole. It's like there's so many things at play. WWE for years avoided, inverted commas, indie darlings. You know, Punk and Brian went huge. And, and, and then it was like, let's stockpile all the indie darlings. And and suddenly you get that sort of style wrestled much more on, on, on WWE TV. And, you know, it used to be taboo to wrestle that type of match on WWE TV. They sax people for wrestling that type of that type of match on WWE TV. You know, they, like Seth Rollins. When Seth Rollins was in NXT, they told him he was speaking French because of the style oh, yes. of matches that he yeah. was wrestling, and he needed yeah. to, to 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 adopt the inverted commas WWE style. You know, they binned off Cassius Ono for a good while for for similar reasons because he wouldn't chisel himself into a Greek god physique. So, like. It's so complicated. I think wrestling in the modern day, you know, it's almost like a, a, a hotbed of contradictions. But but that all of that said, you know, like if we were to think about, um, you know, our, the, the way an ideal show might look like to us, obviously, because we're about the way the product might look within that show. Um, you know, let's let's start thinking about what we might 
what we might do if we had that kind of power. Let's say we're we're Eric Bischoff or we're uh, Paul Heyman and, you know, Vince is asleep somewhere and we can write Raw without him looking over our shoulder or, you know, or say we were Cody Rhodes and we had, um, you know, two hours of dynamite to kind of fill. Like, you know, what kinds of structures and conventions, I think, you know, we will be saying which type work best? Well, I mean, for me, the the the, the first rule, uh, the first thing has to be it's one hour long. I see I, to this day, and I know, I think we've got to a point where, particularly because Raw's been three hours now for such a long time, it feels like, and we've kind of accepted that as the status quo. Um, and everyone says it should be two hours. Um, and I was thinking about this the other day, and, and it springs to my mind that, well, whoever said it was great, it was so good at two hours. You know, the the... I know the prevailing opinion is that it was it was perfectly entertaining at two hours, and that's like the optimum uh, time for wrestling TV. And obviously, Dynamite has come in at two hours, and I think Nitro was probably two hours for a while at some stage as well. But to me, two hours is still too long. I think I think one hour has proven itself relentlessly, time and time again, um, as the perfect runtime for a wrestling show. Most TV shows are one hour long. You know, it's very rare that you'll get a TV show that's where a single episode goes over an hour. Usually when they do, it's either a special or it's uh, a mini-series. Um, but, you know, your average TV, you think about the TV people might binge-watch on Netflix, for example, more often than not is the equivalent of an hour long. TV on American networks, each episode more often than not equivalent of an hour long. Uh, same in this country. Uh, I see no reason why wrestling has to be longer than that. And I know that, you know, obviously sport, you think about football and stuff, that's obviously on for a couple of hours and whatnot. Um, but wrestling is obviously very different to that. Um, similar in some ways, very different in others. And I think that if you look at uh, NXT, uh, before it made this move to two hours, NXT UK, uh, you look at uh, even the NWA sh show that was on YouTube this week. Um, one hour is just such a perfect format for a number of reasons. The time flies by. You're not having to dedicate huge swathes of your life just to watch wrestling to keep up with what's going on, um, which has always been a weirdly kind of arrogant presumption from from wrestling. It's probably stemmed out from um, you know the the mid '90s when WWE and WCW were so uh, so at the zeitgeist of pop culture. Um, so the time whizzes by. But more importantly than not, what it does is it, it, it bottlenecks the product. So storylines naturally have longer life because you can't cover them all every week. Uh, character arcs are easier to manage because, again, not everyone's on every TV show. So you've got more time to plan it out. You've got more time to think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, if you can if you can have fewer than than a few pay-per-views than one a month, even better. Um, but if you do have... Uh, pay-per-views once a month we've obviously talked at length on this show in, in on many occasions over the years about how it should be i think less less than three hours um and then on on a one-hour show as well what you can then do is because you don't want to you know it's not necessarily a great look to have one wrestling match on a one-hour show for example or even two so you're then naturally predisposed to have things like squash matches which we saw in the ascendancy obviously in the early 90s when raw was in its infancy which by the way is a product that i would put head and shoulders above a, you know to the surprise of no one listening um uh, above the current product and a large reason for that is because it was one hour long so what would happen is you know you'd have razor ramon on tv for example for weeks on end wrestling squash matches and every now and then they pit him against a jeff jarrett or a one two three kid or you know whomever else uh british bulldog or whomever uh, and they'd have a really great match. And those stood out more because they were surrounded by the squash matches that allowed you to grow familiar with the characters, get familiar with who they were, get familiar with their, you know, their, their signature moves so that you knew uh, you could take those silent semantic cues in, in bigger matches when the drama was ebbing and flowing. Um, I think that's, to me, that's the absolute center of gravity for a, a, a great TV product is one hour weekly television it just lends itself so much better to a robust wrestling product and i think that that's proven time and time again new gen raws nxt nxt uk even 205 live you know this this nwa show i think it just it goes it it, it stands to reason to me that that's the go-to format
yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, I have really thoroughly enjoyed NXT UK. I'm a little bit behind at the moment, but whenever I have got behind, I've always managed to just binge through uh, a bunch of them because they're only an hour each um, and, and get back up to speed. And I and I think... I think... Go on. Go on. Sorry. Uh, well, no, I was... Who's <laughs> going? Go on, you go. Oh, okay. Uh, what I was just going to jump in and say that's that's a point that I forgot to mention is in this day and age as well, you know, where binge watching is such a big deal. Um, I think it stands to reason if you if you recorded a whole bunch of one hour shows and then released them as a season or some such on on a streaming service, um, you know, I think that there's there's a potential future there for for a pro wrestling product to be presented that way in accordance with the way that viewing habits have changed a lot. Well, I believe. I mean, I, there was rumours at one point that you know that's what uh, what AEW were looking at originally. It's like a right. deal with Netflix or something like that. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the the one hour format is 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 really important in that it gives the opportunity to have one showcase match per show. You know, maybe one other sort of match between regular roster members. The squash matches to build people up. The vignettes to build people up. Um, and you know, if you do need to have a contract signing or one of those little tropes, you only need to have one of them in a show, not, you know, the problem with Raw at three hours is that I constantly felt like somewhere between 60 and 70% of it was filler, you know, and not, and not, not good filler either. You know, it was like, um, I've got to construct, you know, five segments for this feud before the pay-per-view as a writer and they could never do it. And you'd have repetition or it would just be like, this guy beat this guy down after his match. And then the next week, this guy beat this guy down after his match. And then we'll have a contract signing or, you know, we'll change the stipulation at the last minute or, you know, and it, it just became unbelievably like dull and repetitive. And I think having one hour changes that because you can't have everybody on every week and you can actually build it up. Next week, Walter is back, you know, and it's like, well, well, I've not seen him in two weeks. And that's the problem with pro wrestling is it's overexposed. And you mentioned it. It's so arrogant to assume that anybody would have the time to watch three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, an hour of 205, and two hours of NXT, an hour of NXT UK, and then whatever, you know, documentaries and comedy shows and whatever else they put on the network in addition to the fact that then you've got some mad men and I guess all credit to them who then will watch everything NJPW picks out everything that AEW puts out you know high I, implications uh, even <laughs> all this indie stuff like I mean I, I it, it boggles my mind that that um that wrestling companies continue to just put out content to that degree and I guess there's the argument that in, in this day and age, WWE are trying to be their own competition so that 205 Live and NXT and NXT UK serve a kind of niche of a, oh, you don't need those indie indie shows. You can watch this instead. It will, it will cater for your taste just as well. Um, and, and that's why they put it all out there. But I still think if I were suddenly in a position where I was in charge of WWE, I would actually get rid of one of Raw or SmackDown. And, and totally, like, yeah, not, not, not only to end the brand split, which we've talked about to death uh, on this show, but also because even when it was a single roster, SmackDown didn't serve a brilliant purpose. Even in 2000, 2001, you could miss SmackDown every week and kind of it didn't really matter to your overall understanding of what was going on um, on the show. Because anything significant that happened on SmackDown, they would absolutely show you on Raw the next monday you know so it's it's never sat that well with me really um and and the brand split obviously they've just bungled they might have one more chance to uh to to, to, uh. Fix, to, to fix it now i'm not going to say that, that, that they will because i don't have a great faith that they would but but either way i think you know one show like raw was in the new gen like you know it was raw and then well, you might have a couple of other bits and bobs like but those were just you know taste the shows if anything well this is what i was going to say is is for most of the new gen you had raw on a monday and then later in the week you had superstars and there'd be like gimmick shows and stuff on at the weekend but raw and superstars were the permanent fixtures 
most of the narrative progression happened on Raw. Superstars would often feature stuff that then set matches up for Raw. Um, the idea that... I Well, let me rephrase that. I think that there's a, a misleading, um, unspoken belief that WWE running two shows a week was a thing after SmackDown was was introduced. And it wasn't. They've always had more than one show in a week. The only thing that's changed is this perception that the other show has to be as big as Raw. And I don't see why that logic has to necessarily follow through. You know, and, and this is the curious thing is we've become so entrenched in a status quo that's been in place since, what, 2000 now? Mm. Um, that you would think there was no wrestling to ever ever existed before that. Um, and... and Big, and, and a large part of it is because of WWE's complete hijacking and grossly irresponsible uh, documentation of their own past. You know, because they haven't presented a truthful vision of what was, people have weird notions or, or, or wrestling fans who've grown up since that status quo became entrenched had strange, uh, to me, strange beliefs about, you know, what it should be or um, what it shouldn't be, perhaps more accurately. Um, there's there's absolutely no harm in SmackDown being a B show. We have to we have to remove ourselves from this weird kind of group thing. But given that we have no control over other people, we only have control over the product in this process. I'm fully on board with that notion of of removing one of the two weekly shows and and allowing people to once again become accustomed to the notion that that's okay to have one wrestling show a week. Uh, I mean, look at AEW. No one's complaining that AEW doesn't already have two two shows a week, right? Uh, it's got Dynamite and that's it. And I imagine the project's going to benefit hugely for that. Um, and I live in, in dread of the day that NXT introduces, NXT Oof. US introduces a second uh, version of itself, which you know is going to come one day unless something else changes. But but it's the um, uh, it's the thing is, is that is obviously a lot of these changes have happened because of roster bloat, you know? Um, you know, NXT going to two hours is because they've got more wrestlers there than they've ever had before. Um, and they just keep recruiting. They just keep signing. And they never release anybody. You know, like the main roster is way overdue uh, a roster cut, but they won't cut anyone because they want to go to AEW. So it's a bizarre situation where they don't really want Luke Harper and they don't really want... Um, Bobby uh, Lashley. Yeah, or, you know, who was, it? Who was trying to get out supposedly it was it was harper i mean a revival supposedly but they don't want anyone to go because what if they go to AEW and they are the people that turns it around and it all comes back to paranoid vince you know in the middle of his spider's web you know kind of rehashing the 90s in his head and, and it's but it's it's so bizarre isn't it because they're in this situation where they don't want these talents to go to AEW, for example. So that implies they know what the talents are capable of, and yet they refuse to allow those same talents to show what they're capable of in WWE in a manner that would benefit them. It's, so it's, 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 Vince doesn't want to play with his toys, and he doesn't want anyone else to play with his toys. He just wants to keep all his toys in a chest and let them gather dust so he can go around saying, I've got all the best toys and no one else has. Well, that's probably the best Vince metaphor I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest thank you um, but yeah no it can it couldn't be more apropos could it uh it's you know it's it's one of those things bloat is such a big is such a big problem um and i'm not saying that there was never bloat in wrestling you know prior to 2016 of course there was um but... well talking I, I mean talking about bloat this is the other thing that we could do is we can call at least half the active roster let them bugger off elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and, and you and, saw with people like Drew McIntyre and, um, you know, and you've seen with, with Pac and you've seen, uh, you know, with, with Moxley, that when people are set free from the system, inverted commas, it's, you know, it's this kind of dystopian idea of the system, um, like they have a great time and they actually probably make as much, you know, in, in some cases, maybe not Moxley so much, but like as much money as they were making in WWE. Um, so yeah, it, and, it's and a different world now, isn't it? And creative freedom is probably as much of a currency in the world of wrestling as, as, as money is. I think that was one of the major, uh, majorly interesting aspects of AEW emerging in the first place. Uh, and one of the earliest signs of the kind of change that could happen was that actually 
you know, Austin Aries, that it was. A, do you remember when he left and, and Neville left, and there was a big deal about the fact that they could make as much money away from WWE as they were making in WWE. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, if that's the case, or even if you can make similar, and you then have creative freedom on top of that as well, then it's a no-brainer, I think, for a lot of talents to to go out to those places. But to to keep on track with, uh, you know, the 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 notion behind this episode of the Pond, I think call half the roster. Uh, we've got one show a week. And I know I bang on about it all the time. I'm going to bang on about New Gen again. You know, one of the reasons why that product worked so brilliantly in ways people don't realize it worked was because they did have a relatively small roster. And that wasn't a limitation. That was to the product's benefit because the focus was then on, you know, the the kind of the dozen or so prominent characters that they had that were constantly being given really interesting, good character material to develop their characters over years long arcs. And it was it had such precision you could easily, if you go back and rewatch them, you could easily imagine that these were planned out from the very beginning because it just moved logically from one point to the other. That's what you can do when you're not having to focus on 50 different people all at once and you've got maybe you know 12 top guys that you can that you can get some good stuff out of and then everybody else, you know, um, just basically complementing those those central character arcs in various ways. Yeah, absolutely. It- it's it's just has a, a huge benefit um you know when you're much more when you're much more slimmed down um so i mean if if for example if if uh, there's that bit in the brett owen feud in king of the ring 94 where jim the anvil turns back up again they bring jim the anvil back in turns out that he sides with with owen and he's basically just there to kind of augment owen's character and to help owen out a little bit you can easily imagine today if if that happened that everybody would eventually be banging on about how Jim the Anvil should have a push coming out of it and when that doesn't happen it's the worst crime in the world and they're holding him down. Oh well yeah I mean, and I mean if I recall he didn't even stick around afterwards did he? Uh, he was around for a little while not too long yeah um, a couple and, of months or so. And that's the thing is that you, you've got to be able to be brave enough to say like you know a character you know, has a storyline purpose but like with any TV show sometimes you write them out Yes. Uh, and that's something that wrestling has a habit of not doing. It's like, you know, in the territory days, they did. They brought somebody in for a bit. They paid them to appear for a bit. And then they would go off to whatever the next territory was. And, um, you know, and they'd bring someone in. They kept it fresh uh, instead. Or once you got the kind of WCW, WWF, you know, ECW kind of period, you know, somebody might jump ship from time to time and it and it would be kept fresh by new people coming in. So, you know, I well imagine that, you know, if, you know, the year 2000, we hadn't had the Radicals jump across, you hadn't had Chris Jericho a few months before that, then, yeah, you'd have got bored with Billy Gunn and you'd have got bored with Road Dogg and you'd have got bored with Val Venus because ultimately like those guys had served their purpose by the year 2000 and and you you needed you know you needed fresh blood and that's what used to happen i think you've just hit on a very important point as well i was i flirted with with mentioned earlier decided not to but it seems like a logical time to to mention it i don't understand this obsession with competition either and i know that there's a there's a prevailing uh, belief that competition breeds quality in wrestling and i think that there's certainly a truth to that um, but I've long said I don't I I don't think the future of, of or the brightest future for wrestling is in the form of more competition. I think it's in the future of more cooperation. I see no reason why, as you just mentioned, we can't revert back to a system like the territory system where people move in and out of different companies um, and and companies work to benefit one another in the industry as a whole rather than constantly seeking to to get one up on, on the other company or do better than the other company or in, you know, extreme cases, put the other company out of business. Like it's, it's weird to me that people don't seem to think that, you know, a territory style system of cooperation of a sort isn't better uh, than, than one that constantly seeks to reassert someone's monopoly on, on an industry that, that thrives on variety over, over homogeneity. Um, and I've I've been saying this for years that you can you know dial my columns back for years and I've long believed that the future for wrestling is in cooperation over competition and I still believe that even now with AEW you know coming in and people talking about the Wednesday Night War or whatever <laughs> um, 
uh, which, you know, so I, you know, again, it's like people, it's like we can't think beyond, back beyond the Attitude Era, back beyond the Monday Night Wars. They've become such a towering legacy, monument in the history because of WWE's fetish for it, because they won, um, that it's like it just, it just, it just tramples over any other notion or any other possibility um, to the point where we're just, we're just writing things, you know, we, it's, it's weird. I, I don't think we should be quite so quick to obsess over the notion of competition because I honestly don't see all that much of a benefit in it when you think that the alternative could be something like cooperation, like you see between NXT US and NXT UK, you know, with, with Rhea Ripley and, and Pete Dunne coming in now and then. That's been a huge benefit to both NXT UK brands. Uh, sorry, NXT UK and US brands um, because you've had that talent share. You know, and now we see Finn Balor going back into NXT UK, which is going to help them out with their stuff on on um, USA. Um, you know, why not see the Elite pop up for a, a match against New Day like they teased once? Why not see the Undisputed Era turn up in AEW and, and have a brief run in with Jericho's new stable? You know, why not see uh, John Moxley uh, against Seth Rollins? You know. It, it, like, who loses in that situation? Absolutely nobody. There's more people talking about WWE, and there's more people talking about AEW, and there's more fans getting a kick out of seeing these worlds collide. And I think the the reason for all of this is so, you know, steeped in kind of history, and it's going to take someone with a bit more of a, you know, a radical take on things. I mean, Vince had the radical take that he was going to eliminate the territory system. He was going to eliminate the competition. He did both those things. But then it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's an empire built on sand, isn't it? And yeah, that, that sort of mindset just needs to change. And the people that are excited about competition are, are mostly the people that didn't experience it the first time around. And it's a bit like, all right, you're excited because you weren't there for it the first time. But like, you know, it's not what you think it is. Um, and I don't mean that to sound patronising. But it, it's like wishing for something because WWE is is a monopoly um isn't going to make it not a monopoly mm. you know it's like AEW could be wildly successful um and I hope that I hope that it is but any kind of thought that they are you know a legitimate threat to WWE at this point in time is is very very far away you know I mean one of the um, the biggest threats to WWE is WWE. I yeah, mean, that's quite, you know yeah. they're, they're their own they're their own worst enemy. And I say that not to be glib. I, I've made the point before. You know, WCW went from selling out the Georgia Dome in in twenty four hours notice to being out of business inside of three years. You know, so uh, and granted, it wasn't quite as sweeping a, a company as even WWE is now. But uh, you know, it's a short, sharp journey from from you know it, it only takes a few disastrous things to happen for for the situation to change radically um so uh, you're right in saying that it's a long way before AEW really are any kind of a threat to wwe but let's not forget that wwe is a major threat to its own self right now and, and we shouldn't necessarily assume not that you were but we shouldn't necessarily assume that they're still that they are as safe a bet as a lot of people constantly like to reassert that they are um but, yeah, I mean, one thing that I think AEW has been really refreshing for, keeping up with it on social media, watching the first episode of Dynamite, seeing how they built the pay-per-views, is um, doing something that, that New Gen Rawls, which is obviously my touch point for the show, did all the time as well, uh, and that WWE really need to get out of the habit of doing. They can't seem to think this way anymore, um, which is there's, there's no on-screen justification for the matches that are being booked to happen. They're just being booked. You know, it's just they're announcing, oh, this week it's John Moxley versus Sean Spears. You know, next week it's going to be Darby Allen versus Chris Jericho for the AEW world title because Allen won a match this week to, to earn that opportunity. You know, they're just announcing you. Uh, and you used to get that on New General. You didn't have a 20-minute segment at the top of the show that, from an in-universe perspective, seems to demonstrate that no one actually booked any matches for this show before it was going to happen. Uh, which makes you wonder what the hell a commissioner or a GM does all week um, until seven o'clock on a Monday night American local time. Um, you know, it's just being announced, and that's so refreshing. 
you know, it's so refreshing to to not have to sit through the first episode of Dynamite. Radical idea is this is starts with a wrestling match. And while I had my issues with the first episode of Dynamite, the first thing that I thought was this is great. You know, it's a wrestling show starts with a wrestling match. Who'd have thought it? Um, and to not have an authority figure on television, even in even in the most passive way, taking up TV time to say tonight you're going to wrestle this guy. We've got a great show for you. Let's have a few surprise or whatever kind of weird cheesy bullshit that they like to have these these authority figures come out and do and say. Um, you know, I mean that's such a post attitude trope, um, and it never used to be the way. It used to be next week. It's Razor Ramon versus Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental Championship. And it would be totally out of the blue, but you just go, oh, that's awesome. You know, and then they'd go out and have a great match. They'd have an awesome match. And that's all you need. People don't need some weird in-universe logic behind why a match is happening, especially when that in-universe logic is never, ever, ever consistent. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's very much um, something which was... Uh, really dynamic in the early days of Attitude, like the idea of the the authority figure opening up the show. Um, and by 2000, when Triple H was doing it, it was being actively mocked by The Rock, you know, tonight! Which uh. <laughs> 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 still one of my favourite Rock segments. Um, but yeah, it became such as... Because the idea was, it, it was happening because this Vince storyline was so hot. And as with all these things, it just became like accepted practice that this this happened to open up a show um, and they went back to it during the reality era and it kind of worked for a bit, but I always come back to that night of champions 2013 when Vince, when trips randomly opened up the show with like a a baby face, like like a half hour, like half hour promo. And I was like watching it on the Monday night. And I think it was Shinobi that I was talking to like on social media as I was watching it. I think you and Maz had seen it already, but we were watching me and Joey, like pretty much, at the same time it was like what are they doing with this because <laughs> <laughs> um, it was just seems it just seems so out of place um so yeah there's a lot of stuff with WWE's weekly television in particular which is uh there because it's because it's it's just how you do it it's just you yeah, know this is this is what we do yeah it's it, there's there's become a formula there that's been asserted for so long that like you say, people just go, well, that's what a wrestling show looks like. And you know, um, it's never a good thing when, you know, like you can list all these things like wrestler watching future opponent on flat screen TV or, uh, you know, or but, like. But, but even, I mean, even that, even those shots are reek of artifice. Yeah. They can't even have someone sat on a chair watching a television monitor. <laughs> you know, on a, on, a, on a steel folding chair, just watching a monitor backstage, as would be the case if this were real. You know, we're meant to believe that in a locker room, there's a there's a, there's a flat screen HD TV that just happens to be there. While they're being interviewed. While they're being interviewed. And people stand there and watch at a 45 degree angle. No one watches television that way. You know, so why the hell do they do it on WWE TV? You know, and it's and it, uh, one of my biggest pet peeves, actually, and this is something that I'd get rid of, is this weird uh, habit that they've gotten into that's kind of silently because there's so many aspects to WWE TV in the minutiae that have just become accepted that it's really created that kind of nasty uh, veneer over the top of the show, which is people when they're cutting a promo stand, you know, stone still, middle of the ring, facing the hard camera, not moving around they just stand there like a statue and they cut their promo to the hard camera and that and they recite their lines and it's so static and dull and again reeks of artifice and you go back to when the shows had a bit more life and energy uh and you know austin would would be roaming around the ring while he was cutting a promo the rock would be doing the same you know that there was movement there and anybody who's ever done any kind of public speaking knows that it's better to be uh to be active while you're doing it than it is to just be stood stone still um, and, and static. One of the things that I miss most is the kind of stuff and fairness to AEW, they did something similar on the first episode of Dynamite again in New Gen Raw, Vince would do a promo with someone in the ring, he'd do an in-ring interview rather than it being you know backstage and now please welcome my guest Seth Rollins and there's always that awkward five second pause where the guy comes up to the interviewer and just neither of them says anything to each other, they just gurn like morons um, 
just little things like that bug the hell out of me. I, I hate... I hate the wrestler talk show. If there's one trope <laughs> I could like happily ban and just never see again. I didn't even like it. I didn't even like it when, you know, like Jericho was at his peak or Edge was at his peak. I hated it. I've always hated it. Um, you know, like Piper's Pit. Everyone goes, oh, it wasn't Piper's Pit. Great. You go back and watch it. No, it wasn't. Uh, like you know uh like i mean that's that i mean even there you hit upon a point because we we there's i think there's a culture that's emerged that if it happened in the past it was great um that's a huge sweeping statement but what i mean by that is something like piper's pit again because it's been so foisted by wwe we tend to fetishize it and like you say if you go back and watch it you go actually it's kind of a bit crap um you know i remember when i was a kid um you know, and I used to um, get these sort of taped, you know, VHSs off of friends who had Sky. And it was like, whatever their weekly shows were, then it's pre-Raw we're talking about here. So, you know, whatever whatever combination of, you know, superstars of wrestling or primetime wrestling or whatever the hell they were showing on Sky at that time. I can't, I mean, it's difficult to recall. But it's mostly just highlights packages of whatever the hell had been going on. Um. And I always remember, like, watching the Brother Love segments, and I hated them. Like, I thought they were crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, honestly, I used to find, like, because I didn't really understand, I was only, like, 10 or something, 11, you know, I didn't understand what an evangelical preacher was. So I didn't quite, you know, the heat that he had. I was a bit like, oh, it's just a guy with a pink face and a white suit. Why, yeah, what's the point of that? Uh, he doesn't even wrestle, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> I didn't really get the point of a sort of off-screen personality that wasn't a manager or a... You know, or uh, or a wrestler, you know, like what's that one Even... that uh, Russo played, like Vic Vic Venom. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so Russo had like an alter ego called Vic Venom at one point. Like... Even as a <laughs> so even as an infant, Mab was beating back the waves like King Canute. Yeah, but like it's it's just um, I just think like again they're relying like like Alexa Bliss can't wrestle for. However, however long she wasn't wrestling for, let's give her her own talk show called A Moment of Bliss. She looked so uncomfortable. It was like it was bad. Like it was bad, and they and they just didn't they didn't recognise it was bad. They persisted with it, and that's the problem is they persist with this stuff even when it's bad. Or okay, another one I hate when they bring back an inverted commas legend to do the show they used to do. So when they bring that edge, when they're in Toronto to do, Oh, a special edition of the cutting edge. Ugh, I couldn't care less. <laughs> um, they did a King's court recently as well. I think. Oh, um, even worse. Jerry Lawler. I mean, you, you mentioned there that, um, like before raw, there'd be like a, you know, like a highlights package of whatever the hell was going on. And and maybe we need to get radical. Maybe not even have, you know, a live in-ring wrestling show every week. Uh, the, live attendance is falling. People know that when you turn up to a live event, no titles are changing hands. That's just a, a, an accepted trend today. Granted, NXT have kind of weirdly done it a couple of times, but um, you know, if you if you buy if I buy a ticket to see one of the house shows on tour, I know that the even though there might be a time match on the card. I know already that the champion's going to win. I know that no titles are changing hands. And even if it does, there's going to be some shenanigans to see that it's nullified or the matches restarted or some such. Um, maybe the way to tackle both issues with the bad TV and, and the and the um, you know the dwindling revel- relevance of actually encouraging fans to buy a ticket to the live event is to instead have a weekly recap show of what's been going on at the live events and do everything at live events instead and let the product play out that way with people playing catch up with a with a highlight show on television you kill two birds with with one stone and then build to a pay-per-view that way i don't know i mean i'm you know throwing ideas at the wall to see what sticks in a way but you know i think the the overriding point is there needs to be drastic changes and i and i think that that applies frankly as much to any other product outside of wwe as it does in WWE, because one of the issues that I did have with watching Dynamite, it felt, I've seen a few Nitros in my time, it felt very Nitro. I, I think, um, you know, I think... And, when... I, and, and I should say, I have even less interest in watching, uh, you know, reheated Nitro than I do crappy 21st century Raw and SmackDown. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I, I you know, I think um, this this uh, like incessant burgling of the past is 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 something which which kind of needs to stop. I think in terms of the 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 taping thing, you know, like they used to. You have to remind me on this plan because you've watched them more recently than me. But I'm pretty sure they used to do one live raw, one taped raw, like kind Maybe of for a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for a good while in that early new gen period. Um, and, be, and there'd always be that weird stuff where they'd be like, "Oh, it's the uh, U.S. Open tennis, so uh, might put raw on a Tuesday this week." And it that was kind of weird stuff. Every now and then, as well, they'd and I remember Jim Cornette telling the story. You'd watch a raw. And they cut to the announce desk and it was this obvious, like weird, crappy green screen crowd superimposed behind the announce desk. Turns out Jim Cornette, I think, said this on his podcast at some point that they used to have them come into Titan Towers on one of the recorded weeks, pre-recorded weeks and cut live commentary over the the recorded raw so they could reference stuff that may have been happening in current events um, as if it was live. And I believe Heyman used to do that with Taz and Cole in the early Smackdown days. Oh, in okay. He, I, I remember Heyman saying, or I think it was Austin's podcast, Heyman saying that, you know, Cohen Taz used to absolutely hate him because they'd do commentary at the taping and then Heyman would listen to it and then go, right, I want you to re-record this match or that match or, you know, because I, w- I really want this Im- impression to come across in the commentary. And he used to be really kind of like, maybe that's why the commentary was so much better then, is like Heyman was kind of micromanaging it. But um, And all that all that is directed at making sure that they're presenting the story in the most cohesive and engaging way, which seems to be the very bottom of their list these days. But uh, the point I was leading up to here is, you know, NXT built its following despite the fact that they tape mm. six weeks of TV at once, mm-hmm. despite the fact that you only have one pay-per-view every quarter, uh, mm-hmm. this, despite the fact that you know all these things that wrestling fans aren't supposed to want like because oh you won't <laughs> want to watch it if if there are spoilers or it's not live it's not unpredictable or you know that's been blown out of the water by by nxt and it's so ironic to me that they've taken it live because the very spirit of what nxt was was that they were able to construct a long-term logical storyline and now they're going to be reacting to whatever AEW are doing which to me this is why I think it's such a bad idea because the very soul of what it was is going to be lost I think it's been lost a long time ago anyway to be honest as soon as it as as soon as it became a a a non-developmental proposition as soon as it became its own thing um you know and they dropped all pretenses of it being something to get you ready for for going up top. Well, as as we both know, it started as a whisper. <laughs> like, <laughs> but it, you know, as soon as it dropped all that stuff, it stopped being NXT to me, and that's why NXT UK is, for me, by far the most watchable product that they produce because it is still taped a long time in advance. It, the unique buildings we talked about, uh, the squash matches, the you know sort of less homogenous look of the talent, and the you know, and mostly very logical and, and well-developed storylines. And all right, you know, they've had two takeovers. One I thought was excellent. One was quite good. Um, but it's still got a charm about it. And, and I think that's the main problem with a lot of with, with those three now main WWE shows is that it's all shine and glitz and there's no charm at all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, to be honest, I, I'm at a point now where even something like NXT, which traditionally is a product that I have enjoyed, um, I, I find difficult to watch because it feels even there you get contract signings and you get brawls that go out of control and you get post-match beatdowns and it just doesn't feel like there's any real original creative verve anywhere in the wrestling industry anymore. And I just, everywhere I look, I just see... You know the end of history. You know it's it's the the creative evolution of professional wrestling. I think has ended and it has ended, actually been ended for for some time. There needs to be a radical change. There needs to be someone to do today what happened. You know when when Vince came along and said we're going to create sports entertainment and it's going to be this kind of a thing. You know there needs to be a paradigmatic shift. And not the one, preferably for me anyway, that I'm seeing happen through guys like 
at the Elite and Cody and this notion that wrestling can be anything being taken quite literally because I think that that's a, a toxic idea that's going to put a, um, a limited lifespan on, on professional wrestling, quite honestly. But, um, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds because it's difficult to actually know what people's opinions are, are going to be uh, next week, let alone, you know, in, in several years' time because... Group think is absolutely in the ascendancy now, thanks to to in large part things like social media, um, and it is the post truth post reality era for professional wrestling. I think the lesson is always that at some point it always resets, um, you know, and and it, these things are cyclical. We are in a particularly bad part of the cycle now, um, but I felt, to be honest, just as disenchanted in. 2006 um as i do now uh and it kind of cycled back again to something that i was more prepared to watch so i think that the issue for me is that it feels this time because i've been through the cycle myself but this time it feels like the issues run a lot deeper than just the creative um it started as issues with the creative but now i'm seeing things change in a way on a very fundamental basis where uh, as as dramatic and, and even melodramatic as it might sound, I just can't see a future that I'd be interested in if things continue in the direction that they're continuing right now without something radically changing. Well, we know um, well, we we know what that radical change is, but we won't say it for fear of sounding distasteful. Um, <laughs> so uh, I think that's a good place for us to to to, to finish tonight. Obviously, a very deep conversation. Um, and hopefully one that you enjoyed. I think this was a very pondy pond episode, if you like. <laughs> so just as a, actually just as a as a final point, I would love just on what you were saying a few moments ago, Mav. I forgot to mention that. Um, I would love for someone to tell me the last time they consciously didn't watch a wrestling show because they knew the results of it beforehand. Because I'm willing to bet that actually that hasn't really ever happened. No, exactly. I mean, there was a time when I tried to remain spoiler free for Raw on a you know, on a Tuesday, you know, I'd be like, okay, I won't look at Twitter until I get home and uh, and so on and so forth. But, but, you know, that's more out of habit than anything. I think, you know, I'm, like I say, I'm so, I'm totally convinced that pre-taping is the way to go. And the problem with this Fox deal is that they're it's going the other way. They're trying to present it uh, as live sport because that's yeah. what sells on Fox. Fox like, okay, uh, none of our TV programs do good numbers. <laughs> so, and what does good good numbers for us uh, is 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 live sports. So, if we have WWE, then that's how we'll treat it. And and yeah, and that's the that's the that's the wrong direction. Um, so, yeah. Uh, okay, so that'll do us for this week, guys. Uh, we will be back next week. Um, we maybe have another little uh, series. Uh, brewing in the pipeline a little watch along series because we got very nice feedback about the invasion thing so i think you might dip into another era of history and do something a little bit similar um so uh, do enjoy your weekends uh, do enjoy whatever wrestling you are choosing to watch at the moment and uh, we'll be with you next week bye